afternoon. We have off and on snow at 4 o'clock on this Tuesday, February the 2nd. St. Johnsbury temperature is 30. I'm Bob Welch and welcome to my world. In the headlines, two Northeast Vermont towns and the Northeast Kingdom Waste Management District don't like the Vermont Attorney General settlement with the Chittenden Solid Waste District. Doing donuts in a pickup truck caused a Connecticut woman to spin right into an icy Long Island Sound yesterday in this morning's stream footage of Staten Island Chuck not seeing his shadow wasn't live? Well, social media is having a snow day over it. And now the forecast for northeast Vermont and northern New Hampshire. Cloudy with snow accumulating one to three inches. We will have a high, well, we've we've reached the high of 32. Uh, the north winds at 10 to 15 miles an hour. Tonight, the snow's going to taper off and give way to cloudy skies late with a low around 25. Overcast tomorrow, a few flurries or snow showers possible with a high of 30. A mix of sun and clouds for Thursday with a high near 30 and a west-northwest wind 5 to 10 miles an hour. And looking at the 4 o'clock conditions around the great northeast and a little bit of Canada. Boston and New York reporting 34 under cloudy skies. Brewster in New York's Putnam County reports cloudy and 30. Hartford is cloudy and 36 with Barnstable Cape Cod 37 under cloudy conditions. Montreal is reporting snow and 27 and Albany, New York is 28 degrees under cloudy conditions. You're listening to Bob's World. At the top this afternoon, the New Hampshire Fire Marshal is expected to be in Coas County today investigating after a fire in Jefferson, New Hampshire, which consumed that town's town hall. The fire, which was first reported at 7 last night, then spread to the fire station 40 feet away. The fire station and town office building were saved. Nobody was hurt. Vermont Digger is reporting today that two Northeast Kingdom towns and one of the region's solid waste districts are criticizing the Vermont Attorney General's office after its recent settlement with the Chittenden Solid Waste District in a glass dumping case. The towns of Charleston and Newport have sent letters to Attorney General T.J. Donovan concerned over the settlement announced a month ago. The board of the Northeast Kingdom Waste Management District also sent a letter contending the $400,000 settlement is not severe enough a penalty to deter the Chittenden District from improperly disposing of glass again in the future. The settlement establishes that about 17,900 tons of glass were dumped on the Chittenden District's Williston property over two years from 2016 to 2018. That glass was delivered to the facility to be recycled. But the recycling market has dried up. By disposing of the glass on its property, the waste district avoided having to pay to have it recycled elsewhere. Paul Tomasi is executive director of the Northeast Kingdom Waste Management District, and he says in the letter that the Chittenden District's action, quote, resulted in an important loss of credibility with consumers and the recycling community throughout the state of Vermont and says all solid waste districts suffered from this loss of credibility. The Northeast Kingdom District had discussed legal action, but its attorney advised against it. John Brabant, the Director of Regulatory Affairs for the nonprofit environmental group Vermonters for a Clean Environment, 
filed a motion to intervene in the settlement case on January 20th. On, rather, today, he withdrew it because the legal costs are too high. The motion to intervene could have resulted in a court review of the settlement. The district maintains it used the glass in an appropriate way. You're supposed to eat donuts, not do them in a parking lot, then wind up in ice-cold water. Dramatic video shows Connecticut firefighters pulling two people out of a pickup truck as it plunged into the icy waters of Long Island Sound during that snowstorm that hit southern portions of our region yesterday and are hitting the northern areas as we speak. Emergency crews got the call around 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon that a vehicle had gone under near Cummings Park in Stamford, Connecticut. When members of the Stamford Fire Department arrived, a white four-door pickup truck was already partially submerged, surrounded by broken ice and floating some 40 feet from shore. The Stamford Advocate reports the police told them the driver was doing donuts in the parking lot when the truck skidded into the water. Video shared by the Stamford Fire Department shows a woman climbing out from the truck bed onto a 100-foot aerial ladder. As the truck sinks deeper into the water, emergency crews race against the clock to free a man still stuck inside the cabin of that truck. Then moments later, his head pops up above the water and firefighters lift him up onto the ladder with his feet dangling off to the side. Paramedics took the man to the Stamford Hospital. The woman refused medical treatment at the scene. Nothing could be finer than a crisis that is minor in the morning, said Charles Osgood. In fact, it was the title of one of his books. However, that was the crisis on Staten Island today. The New York Daily News reports viewers railed against the Staten Island Zoo today for uploading a pre-recorded video of Staten Island Chuck stepping out of his burrow and boldly predicting an early spring. The spectators tuned in to watch the zoo's first virtual Groundhog Day event, but quickly noticed that despite two days of winter weather, there was no snow on the ground as the famous rodent poked out of his tiny cabin. How do you fake a groundhog prediction? There was not a drop of snow on the ground. They were out in sweatshirts and it was sunny. One person posted underneath a Facebook video of the event, noting that zoo officials who appeared on camera were not bundled against today's winter chill. It is not sunny here on Staten Island now. Everything has been canceled in 2020, so you could have just canceled it. Maybe Chuck has relocated and giving his predictions from Florida, wrote another commenter. The whiskered weatherman disagreed with another borrowing meteorologist, Punxsutawney Phil, who did see his shadow this morning in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and predicted another six weeks of winter, but Staten Island Chuck agrees with his Nova Scotian counterpart, Shubanakity Sam. At 8 this morning, Atlantic time, Nova Scotia's most trusted groundhog prognosticator emerged from his burrow and didn't see her shadow means she's predicting an early spring. Vermont's Department of Labor is recalling all 1099-G forms after issuing incorrect tax documents. The Burlington Free Press says the department received reports yesterday that some Vermonters had 1099-G tax documents with names and addresses that did not correspond with the envelopes they were mailed in. 
Additionally, we believe that in certain cases, individuals may have received another claimant's name and social security number, writes Commissioner Michael Harrington in a press briefing yesterday per a transcript posted by the department. All mail 1099s, regardless of program, will be recalled out of caution. The department believes the mishap pertained to forms related to the Lost Wages Assistance Program and a portion of the Vermont short-term supplemental benefit population. This story from the Toronto Globe and Mail. And then a comment. Bell Media Incorporated says it has cut staff, including on-air broadcast roles, as part of a streamlining process. Bell spokesman Mark Choma says there have been a limited number of staff reductions but did not specify how many jobs had been cut. Bell says the roles were cut because of programming decisions by Bell's radio brands as part of the company's streamlined operating structure. Bell claims to be Canada's largest radio broadcaster with 215 music channels, 109 licensed radio stations in 58 markets across Canada, including Montreal. Last month, Bell Canada confirmed it had restructured its leadership team, leading to some staff departures. In Montreal, the cuts include CJAD veteran reporter Shuyi Lee. She'd reported for CJAD for 28 years. On Twitter, she wrote, Sad to report I'm the latest casualty of layoffs after nearly 28 years at CJAD. Thanks to all the class acts I've worked with and all the listeners. Grateful and proud to have been part of the legacy of CJD reporters. In parentheses, need a slightly used journalist slash assignment editor? Please DM me. Check out this morning's Aisland cartoon on the Montreal Gazette. Just one of the costs which linger long after job cuts at a radio station. Now this comment. There are costs which are taken on when cuts are made in order to cut costs that you can see. You have no idea how many academic case studies dissecting corporate cutbacks I have had to do an analysis on, which with very little exception show these costs that don't show easily on a ledger, but do linger for years after. And the money they saved, not really all that much. Broadcasting is like no other business. Here's why. It is, or at least should be, an integral part of the community. In order to do that best, you need people. Yes, those people cost money, but even in a bad economy, sponsors stick by a radio station or a TV station which chooses to stick out that bad economy. On the air, the economic slowdown doesn't feel as bad as at least the people the listener expects to be on the air to guide them through the bad times are still with them on the other end of the radio especially the radio, as you lean into the radio, as you sit back to watch TV. Once that station takes a major shift, like unloading the entire newsroom of CJAD and gutting the evening program lineup on weeknights and weekends, which happened yesterday, those voices are gone from the radio and the newscasts lack the same meat in them. A lot of the community's soul is missing then. CJD's newscasts are supposed to be of local origination, and I was told long ago that news rarely happens inside the room from which the newscast originates. Granted, sister TV station CTV Montreal, 
legally known as CFCF-12, will be at least trying to pick up the slack and file reports in the morning, but my sources tell me those people will then feel the pressure and the quality of the TV reporting may suffer as a result. A few years ago, they already forced the reporters to pick up the camera and become one-man bands or multimedia journalists. That makes it sound fancy and sophisticated. This is Montreal, not Bangor, Maine. Here's the next point. Here's how broadcast ratings work. And if you'll follow along with me here, you may be able to fully grasp why on-air cutbacks are so damaging to a radio station's survival for years and years into the future. Radio ratings measure only the radios or TVs which are still turned on. And if you got so mad at the cutbacks that you left the radio, you're no longer counted. Maybe you left the radio years ago in 2009 when your buddy Peter Anthony Holder's all-night show, Holder Overnight, left CJD. You aren't represented in the ratings regardless of how good that survey says a number one radio station is. And if that radio station, which suffered wave after wave of cuts, now says it's still the number five station in town, it's a ranking which is only representative of the radio still turned on. If your radio is off, it's not counted. Who knows? Maybe the most successful format is personality-oriented rock or a live local talk format 24-7, but we'll never really know because those listeners have left and they probably aren't coming back. The next question, and this is more of a rhetorical one, how do you bring listeners back? who have turned off the radio, not make them move from one station to the other, but turn the radio back on. I don't think you do it by gutting a radio newsroom. That is a Herculean task made even more difficult with every cutback. However, the ratings are how the advertising rates are calculated, and the advertising agencies use those ratings to determine how many ads for Coke, Pepsi, and Ford Motor Company, among others, you hear. Those ads may still be there, but the locally owned businesses will stick with you if they can afford it, and they'll do it if they know you're sticking it out just as tough as they are. If your radio station that has deep roots in the community and has been around for decades, it's the local sponsors you need the most, as in the darkest of times, they'll stick with you. And they aren't Coke, Pepsi, or Ford. And this just in from my friend Simon Dingley at CBC out of Toronto. The entire CFRB newsroom has been let go in Toronto. I pause to let that sink in. The entire CFRB newsroom has been let go in Toronto. Canada's market one. The costs of those cuts will linger decades after whatever money they are saving from the cuts have been made and are no longer showing. As I have argued previously today, it's a heck of a way to run a radio station. My feelings are now with the golden staffers of what were once two of Canada's finest radio stations. 
the legendary Gordon Sinclair worked at CFRB. Look up the Americans commentary on YouTube. He did that. And that was the station he did that on. And his son, Gord Sinclair, ran CJD. If you were lucky enough to hear him, or you were lucky enough to have an old curmudgeon running your radio station who would stand up to the corporate types, you know how lucky you are. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback. I'll communicate with you privately if you're affected by this and you're listening and you want to chime in. I'll always talk. DM me and, heck, I'll give you my telephone number and I'll call. I'll pick up the cost. I'll talk with you. My DMs are open on Twitter. Bob Welch, N-E-N-Y. If it's not of a particularly confidential nature, you can dial the talkback line, 802-467-0212, and comment on the varied potpourri of news items which wind up on here over the course of a week's time, shortened by a day because I was off yesterday. Those messages may be played in a future broadcast on topics that are all over the place as we've tried to cover a potpourri of things over the course of a week. That's today's edition of Bob's World for Tuesday, February the 2nd. I'm Bob Welch. Thanks for listening.